Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. What a beautiful testimony of Logan giving himself to following Christ just a few weeks ago and Again, so it's so encouraging to see Sky in her investment, not only in a relationship, but in his spiritual uh, walk with the Lord. I wonder how many of us right now, if I challenge you to identify, think of one, just one person, one person that you know of that is maybe without, without a relationship with Jesus, maybe has never uh, darkened the door of a church. We literally had somebody in our last service, the first time for them to be in church was today. And what an exciting time that is. I mean, to see this and to experience that. And so who do you know? Who do you know who's maybe far from God, given up on God, given up on the church or whatever that is not here? Because here's the thing. We have 30 five days until the most important day of the year, that being Easter. That day is the day that literally shapes all the rest of our days. It is the day that marks, uh, that, that literally should change the way we live, the way we think, the way we function, the way we even look at eternity. And so coming up 35 days, why is that? Why am I keep emphasizing that is because I want you to keep that one person at the top of your mind. Now, by the way, we're going to have three gatherings on that day, going back to pre-COVID uh, worship times on Easter Sunday, 8, 9.30, and 11. So find the spot and uh, that you're going to be in and, and, and be there, and then also serve along beside us on that incredible day. But here's what I want you to do. Here's a call to action. I want you to think of, uh, identify one person. We all know one person, at least, that is not in church, away from God, away from church, whatever, that is in your circle of influence, okay? Who is your one? Now, you might come up with three. That's okay. All right, that's okay. But think about one, at least one. All of us know somebody, a neighbor, a work colleague, or on our team, in our classrooms, or whatever. Who's that one? We want you to text in just their first name. We're not going to creep on anybody, okay? So don't give us the full name, social security numbers, and all that kind of stuff. So just their first name of somebody you're praying for, okay? That you're you're saying, hey, church, would you pray with me as I pray for them? We did this in our last service, and I just want to show you kind of what, what we have right now as a growing list. There it is. Of Those are real people, real names that have been submitted, and we're going to pray for them. And I'm asking you to do the same thing. So what are you going to do? You're going to text in. Text, who is your one? Literally run that together. Take out the apostrophe. It's going to, it's going to auto correct your, in your phone. You're going to have to force it back down to who's your one to nine, seven, triple zero. So identify number one. Number two is invest. What are you going to do? How are you going to invest in them? How are you going to pour into them? One of those ways that's the most impactful way is to pray for them. We're going to literally help you if you text in a name of whomever that is, that is, that you, that's your one. We're going to help you pray for that person. We're going to pray with you as you pray for them, but we're also going to equip you. For 31 days leading up to Easter, we're going to send you a one text message a day for 31 days, and it will give you a prayer verse that you can pray over them. So now you're praying with authority. Now you're 
you're praying the word of God over them. And so that's something that you can do. We can all do this together. Identify and then invest. And then thirdly is in to invite. Listen, pray for that opportunity that you can have a conversation with them because you would be surprised that even on Easter, agnostics and atheists will go to church. That surprisingly enough, but it happens. And so you have an opportunity on this most critical day of the year to invest, to identify, to invest and invite that one person. So we're going to pray for that. I know blood pressure just went up in the room because I have a hard time talking about my faith. Listen, let's start with talking to God about, about it. Let's start in prayer. And we're going to exercise what I'm asking you to do over the next few days. We're going to pray the scriptures right here, right now. John 4, verse 35 is uh, maybe a familiar passage of scripture. Go ahead and throw it up on the screen, guys. And uh, here it is. You know the saying, four months between the planting and the harvest. Obviously, he's using a harvest metaphor. Um Four months until the harvest. Well, we don't have four months. We have 35 days. All right. But not only that, notice this, that he says, but I say to you, wake up, wake up, look around. The fields are already ripe to harvest. So what I want us to do today is you think about your one, or maybe you have three names, submit all three names. I want us to pray that over our own lives right now. All right? So I'm going to pray that God would wake us up. I'm going to pray that God would open our eyes, that we would see people around us like we've never seen them before, and that we would pray that there would be an incredible harvest of souls coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Would you join me in praying for them right now? Father God, we bow before you, and we come with uh, Lord, I pray not anxiety. I pray not worry or fear or trepidation about thinking about inviting a, a friend to, to church. But Lord, I just realize that's one of the tools of Satan that he puts on us. But I just pray right now, before we even talk about inviting, I pray that you would help to open our eyes. Awaken us, Lord. Awaken us too our friends, our families, our colleagues, our classmates awaken us to spiritual needs in our own community and then help us to look around and see them. See them with our eyes and our hearts. Lord, see them in such a way that it disturbs us, that moves us, that we know that today is the day of salvation, that Lord, today may be the day that you are calling one of them to faith in you. So Father, we pray that you would awaken us. We pray that you'd help us to look around and see the people around us who need to know you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. I hope that that is your prayer and I hope that I didn't raise the anxiety level in your heart. I know it's not easy whenever you talk about this, but April 17th is coming and three gatherings together. It'll be a great time to bring that friend that you've been praying for for so, so, for so long. Now, 35 days, I'm asking you to pray for 35 days, day after day. Sometimes, again, it's another to-do list. I don't want this to seem like a spiritual, oppressive to-do list. That just speaks of legalism. That just speaks of religion. That's not what we're looking for here. 
I'm praying that we would have a different perspective on this. But I know to-do lists, they become overwhelming. You got all the things you got to do for your, you. You just lost an hour of sleep last night. Unless you were normally a first service gathering person, then you just actually made it to this gathering. You didn't lose an hour. You made it up. So, Or you've got so many things and you just got Friday thrown at you that you had to teach your kids at school, uh, teach your kids uh, uh, um, at school. And then you got spring break coming up and you got summer plans. You got sports going on. There's so many things that we get on our plate. And it consumes us and it overwhelms us. And I hear a question that I ask is not, do you have a busy schedule? Okay. Not, do you have a lot of things to do? Not, are you already skipping out on this service right now and thinking about down the week ahead, Monday morning? What I want to ask you is a second layer question. Not the first layer. Do you have a lot going on? Do you have a lot in your mind? Do you have a lot? Do you have a lot? Here's the second layer question. How sustainable is the pace of your life? Are you going at a sustainable rate and pace and rhythms of your life? Because if I'm talking to you in a series of messages about trading up, moving from my way to the Jesus way, I cannot talk about the Jesus way and miss the opportunity to talk about a sustainable lifestyle. Because Jesus had this incredible, lived in this incredible tension of having a lot to do. He was the savior of the world. That's a lot. And yet somehow being able to walk slowly through the crowds. Somehow to even notice when somebody touched the hem of his garment. So there was something about Jesus' life that was incredibly intense, at the same time incredibly sustainable. And we've got to realize, we've got to parse out some, some of the hurry sickness that we've got going on, some of the anxiety that we've got going on. Is this really of God? Have I brought more on my life than it should be? Because Jesus is no doubt whenever he lived out his life, it was intense. There were times that he missed meals. There were times that he gave up sleep. There were times that, 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 that he literally had to give up his private personal space because of the ministry and the work and the life that he had to live, the calling that was on his life. So I'm not talking about some monastic lifestyle here. I'm not talking about pulling yourself out and, and, and living out on some mountainside and throwing away your watches. But I am asking you, is your life sustainable? Going on at a rhythm and a pace and a cadence that is really helpful because when you look at all of the intensity of Jesus, you never see Jesus hurrying. You never see Jesus in panic mode. There are people literally dying in front of him and he misses the opportunity to heal them before their death. We'll save that conversation for another day, but just listen to that. He had opportunities, but he was not in a hurry to get there. He was not in panic mode when somebody dies. So here's what we have to think about. Hurry and panic and frenzy and burnout. That's not a part of the Jesus life. It's not a part of the Jesus ministry. It's not the way he models for us. Jesus lived a fruitful and sustainable rhythm and speed. We'll say that again. Jesus lived a fruitful and sustainable 
rhythm, and speed. I want you to say it with me because I want your lips to say this, these words. Okay, say it with me. Jesus lived a fruitful and sustainable rhythm and speed. He had certain cadences. He had certain ways that he lived his life. That we need to, if we're going to be Jesus followers, we need to get off the hurry bus. We need to get out of panic mode. We need to get out of the frenzied lifestyle. And the lifestyle literally just leads to a burnout and a crash and a burn. We need to figure out how we can live with intensity of Jesus and yet sustainable at the same time. Carl Jung, who developed the framework for the introvert-extrovert conversation, and ended up being an influencer into the Myers-Briggs uh, indicator test, said this about hurry. Hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Sometimes we hurry past God's blessings, past his calling, faster than he intended us to move. Take your Bibles and open to the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10. You can't just talk about the life of Jesus without studying the life of Jesus. Luke 10 is an incredible chapter when you read it in its totality and you understand that in this chapter, there's a lot of training that he's doing. He's sending his his disciples out. He sends them out in two by two. They come back and report on miracles and works. So this is not, again, some retreat lifestyle of Jesus. This was a working lifestyle of Jesus, but it was something about this lifestyle that it was not hurried or frantic or frenzied. And so at the end of Luke chapter 10, he pulls up in the village of Bethany. Bethany is a suburb, kind of suburban life, if you will, of Jerusalem. Pulls up into, in, into Bethany, pulls up to Martha's house. Martha and Mary had a brother named Lazarus. You know the Lazarus story. We'll say that for another day as well. But he pulls up to Martha's house, And all of a sudden in front of Martha's house are at least 13 men that have been traveling, they've been working, they've been going. And all of a sudden she goes into work mode, which I, again, rightfully so. There's, there's a lot of good things that happen in here, but there's some good things that lead to bad things that lead to an unhealthy thing. So the story for me goes, as I've been struggling with my own levels of anxiety and trying to put my arms around it. Uh, I'm on a plane about a, less than a month ago from, from Atlanta to, to, to Athens, Greece. A lot of time on a plane, 30,000 feet in the air, lots of oxygen, I don't know. But I'm sitting there reading the scriptures and I come to this one verse. And had I been flying the plane, I would have had to pull the plane over. Because it just stopped me. I didn't, I knew the story. I knew the context. I knew everything that was going on around it. But it was just one phrase that Jesus said that caught me. This is the phrase. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Martha, Martha. Why did he say her name twice? I have my uh, personal uh, reading into this text uh, interpretation on him. I don't think Martha was hard of hearing. I just think Martha had a lot of other voices in her head. Martha, 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 listen up here. 
There's, there, there, you're, you're anxious about a lot of things. See, she had the voice of pleasing in her head. She had the voice of duty in her head. She had the, the voice, the, so many different voices that were, that were going on in her head. The performance voice was in her head. And so Jesus literally has to call her name out twice. And he says, you're anxious and you're troubled about many things. And so that right there stopped me. And I'll have to say this, part of my own struggle, it's been a lifelong struggle. Um, part of my own struggle is, is, is dealing with what I want to call a Messiah complex. Maybe it's the pastor in me, maybe it's the personality that I have, that whatever, that there's something inside of me that I feel like I need to be a fixer. If there's a problem, bring your problem to me, I will fix your problem for you, okay? You'll have to do the heavy lifting, but I'll tell you how to fix your problem. As a pastor, sometimes you get into the mode of somebody's hurting and you want to step in and fix the pain. And sometimes you just can't fix the pain. Sometimes I want to fix myself and I can't fix myself. Messiah complex. Disappointed. I don't want to leave anybody disappointed. I don't want you to be disappointed. I don't want a message to go by that I don't deliver a quality message. It's a personal thing in my head, in my soul. This, 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 this frenzy that works up inside of me creates an anxiety inside of me. And so then, again, I say this for years, I have been working through this. And let me give you a bibliography of books, okay? Beyond the Bible, here's a bibliography of books that I have read and reread and, and, and point to quite often. Get Your Life Back by John Eldridge is a great book. Everyday Practices for the World Gone Mad. That's the world we live in right now. I read it a few years ago. I still practice some of the principles from that book. I'm right now finishing up A Resilient Life. I, I, I read on my trip to Greece, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Highly recommend it. It's the best book I've read all, all year. And you think, Mike, you're reading a lot of books. Yeah, I'm reading a lot of books because this is a constant struggle. Mike, 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 Mike. You are worried. You're anxious about a lot of things. And I have to believe that probably I'm not the only one in the room who struggles with a Messiah complex. Want to fix it, want to please, want to get it all done, want to get it done right. And, and it's a struggle. Where, where do you go with this? When you look at the story of this, Martha is given this statement by Jesus, but it's in a bigger context. So let's look at that context. And it's Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And very familiar passage. I know most of you know it, have read it, probably studied it at, at length, but please ask God to give you fresh eyes on this today. And I want you to look at this, and I want you to look at Mary, and I want you to look at Martha. And I want you to ask yourself, who are you more like, Mary, or are you more like Martha? And now as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village, the village of Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And he said to the sister, uh, uh, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care about my sister? Has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion 
which is not, which will not be taken from her. Now, there may be five different paces of life out there. You can talk to other people about maybe what those paces are, but I see at least two paces of life that you need to help identify if you're in one of these paces and how can you either get out of one and get into the other or how can you amplify the one that that is the right ones. First of all, there's the fast-paced, hurried life. Now, if this, when I get through with this, if this fits you, then you're going to probably be in about 75 to 95, I don't know, somewhere in there. The majority of people in our world are living in the fast-paced, hurried life pace of life. And I just want to encourage you to lean in and listen to this because the Martha lifestyle is by far the most dominant lifestyle out there. So two of the books that I put up on the screen earlier were by an MD, medical doctor, Dr. Swenson. And what he has done in all of his years of being a medical doctor is he has noticed that a common theme of patients that come in the door, that it's not always a virus, it's not always a bacterial issue that's causing their, their sicknesses, it's not always a genetic issue that's causing people's sicknesses. Sometimes it's a marginless life and an overload syndrome. They're living with too much, expecting too much of themselves, expecting too much of others, and they're having a hard time. And these are his words from his book, Margin, anxiety, depression, suicide, suicidal jesting, personality disorders, obsessive behaviors, eating disorders, panic attacks, alcohol, and drug abuse, phobias, and psychosis. These are not diagnoses of a verge of extinction. Instead, Their maladies seem to thrive in our society like weeds in a garden. And they will drain us dry emotionally, and I add the word spiritually. Will drain us and take from us and rob from us the joy of what it means, the, 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 the sustainability of life that we really long for, but we can't seem how to get because we think more and more, faster and faster will get us there and it doesn't. And there's a trickle down thing that happens in Martha's storyline here. If you'll, if you'll notice it real quickly. One is that, that others needs become her or my issues. She basically takes on, takes on that Messiah complex and takes on other people's issues. Whenever they pull up hungry at the house, verse 35, it says that Martha, the woman named Martha welcomed them into her house, welcomed him into her house. Now, I have to assume that the disciples, they're there with her. Now, let me say this about, about Martha. Martha's the kind of person you want on your team. She's a get it done gal. She's an alpha female. She's a to-do list person. If she took the Gallup strength finders, she would be scored all the way in the uh, execution domain, achiever, discipline, focus, responsibility. She's the kind of gal you want on your team. She's the kind of gal, if you're doing a wedding shower or a bridal shower or a, or a baby shower, you want her organized. You, you, if, if, if they're doing a party, if they're, if whatever, you want that person on your team because they're going to get it done. All right. They're going to be the get it done kind of person. But here, finish this statement with me. Okay. A unguarded strength is a, say it, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. If you're not careful, your strength may become your very much your downfall. 
what happens is she takes on, opening up her door, walking them into her house. These people, these, again, 12, 13 people are sitting in her house. Now, this is not just, hey, open up the door and come sit in the recliners and sit on the couches. No. In, a, in this day and age, you take off your sandals at the door. I'm going to get a basin of water. I'm going to wash 13 men's stinky, dirty feet. I'm going to welcome you in. I'm going to find a cushion. Listen, I don't have 13 seats in my living room in, in, in American culture. I would have to be getting cushions and borrowing seats from the neighbors. I mean, there's a lot of work just to get people into your house to set them down. Now we're going to have to make hummus and pita bread. Now we're going to have to cook for those people. And I promise you, in a world with not preservatives and, 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 and no refrigeration and no canned foods, that there was not just go in the pantry and pull things out. She probably had to go or send somebody else to the market to get the food. Now, to prepare for, there was so much involved in walking them in. Now, let me just say this. That's a good thing. She does a very good thing. Opening up her life, opening up herself, making herself available. Hospitality is one of the, of the gifts of the spirit. Nothing wrong with this. But what happens is whenever it takes a little nuanced turn and it becomes unhealthy. When my issues, my new, newly adopted issues, number two, my issues become my focus. So my situation changed whenever they came into the house and they came into the house and now that becomes the focus of my life. Look at verse 40. What does it say about Martha? Martha was distracted. Now just imagine this with me. She was distracted about what? She was distracted about serving the guests that just came into her house. Well, that's a good thing, right? But see, the problem is with good and best is the line is so thin. And we could be doing a good thing when we should be doing the best thing. But the good thing is a good thing for other people, but we get locked into that and we can't get out of that. And so we become distracted. This word distracted in the Greek language is actually a compound word, peri, spoa, And it means the idea, peri, come from something, spao means to to, to draw out. When Paul, when Peter drew out his sword, it was spao. So basically, the son of God is in your living room. God is in your house. But I'm too busy. She's drawn away. Whenever you become so focused on all the good things that you're doing that you're missing the best thing, there's a problem. And you really have to dig deep and do really honest evaluation. Is this the right thing to do? Because good things are good, but they're not always the best. You know, what we, we carry around, and I uh, have up on my stage, a very good device that I enjoy using. In fact, I carry it with me right now. It, but do you realize that the average person will touch their iPhone 2,617 times a day? All of a sudden, notifications, alerts, all those things, those, those text messages, bings and bangs, they come your way. All of a sudden, those become your life. And you are what? Perispao. You are drawn away from the most important thing. You are pulled out. You're distracted from. You're interrupted from. In fact, right now, if you're holding your phone, raise it up. Is it up? Uh, it's not, no, no judgment. I'm holding my phone. Okay. So great case in point. 
We, 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 we live with these things. They're not evil. But what happens is it just adds to the distraction and the confusion and the noise and the voices of our life. And sometimes we need to put our phones to bed. We need to walk away from them and learn to tell them when we're going to pick them back up. Charleston Southern University School of Business did a study of 20,000 Christians, okay? 3,000, anytime you do a study of about 3,000 or more, it's a legitimate study, it's scientific, all that kind of stuff. It meets the measurements of that. 20,000. So there's a lot of data points here. Identifying the busy major distractions and the effect that it has on Christian community. And this is what the study said. It may be the case that Christians are assimilating into the culture of business, hurry, and over, overload, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in the Christians' lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to a Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting the secular assumptions and how to live, which leads to more conformity to the culture of busyness and overload, and then the cycle begins all over again. We're becoming more and more distracted by the noise out there, which then becomes our focus. And when our focus becomes whatever it is out there, then that becomes the point of anxiety. We have to be careful and be very mindful as my focus stirs inside of me the anxiety. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Needs become issues. Issues become focus. Focus becomes our anxiety. We allow our life to become so crazy busy. Call it good activities of sports teams and extracurricular activities and extra projects and hobbies. and All this is, could be all good, but when it becomes our focus, it can become the very point of our anxiety that draws us away from what God wants us to do. So few people have even the simplest gift from God, Sabbath, in their life. So many people are so busy that on Sunday mornings, no longer is it, I'm going to go and I'm going to serve one and I'm going to worship one. It's like, no, 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 I got such a busy life. I need this time for me. All of it. What about the days as a family? You could teach the rhythms of life and a cadence of life to our kids when as parents we would serve with our children through a Sunday morning. Sabbath is gone. Serving is gone. Why are we living in such the chaotic world? We've allowed the world to dictate for us how we're going to live. When I talk about trading up, the trading up is this. Is whenever we're going to move from the hurried, anxious life to a sustainable, sacred life. And when I say sacred life, that means a life and a relationship with Jesus. It starts there. And if Jesus, the Son of God, is in your living room... I don't care how much pita bread you need to make. Go sit at Jesus' feet. When you look at Martha and then you look at Mary, you see two totally different people. And they're sisters. So it's not an environmental issue. It's not a genetic issue. There's two different people from the same family, from the same gene pool that are living two different ways. So we studied Martha. But let's look at Mary real quickly. And by the way, let me say this. We're going to look at Mary today, and on April 4th, we're going to look at Mary again. And I don't want you to separate the two out. 
Because there's about four different Marys in the, in the New Testament, this being one of them. And the one we're going to study today and the one we're going to study on the fourth is, oh, oh my, my goodness, what, what she does today, what we look at today, is going to fuel what she does on, on the fourth. So I'll leave you with an anticipation around that. But three words, three words that mark a sustainable sacred life. One is deliberate. She lived a very deliberate life. When Martha's busy about serving, what's Mary busy about? Setting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. Setting and listening. Now, let me just say this. It takes both. She's deliberate about both. You could be setting in this room right now and not even in this room right now. You could be having your Bible and your quiet time in your living room and a hot cup of coffee and all that kind of stuff, and you can be totally scrolling on the Insta. There's so many things that can pull us away. No, she sat and she listened. It was a very focused. You could be in this room right now, be building out your shopping list on Walmart pickup for later on today. Being in church and just setting is not in and of itself what we're talking about. Deliberate. I did a a thesaurus check on this one word. And these are the words that are synonyms to deliberate, slow, pump the brakes. Not everything has to be in fourth gear turbo, pedal to the metal. Fast isn't always first. Cautious. She's cautious. Think before you speak. Think before you act. Cautious, unhurried. Thoughtful, meditative. Those words describe a deliberate person. She sat and she listened at the feet of Jesus. Martha was distracted. Mary was deliberate. Second word is priorities. She knew what her priority was. Jesus said, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the one thing that is necessary. What is your one thing that creates a sustainable, sacred life? What is the one thing? If you could you move everything else off your plate, everything else off your day, if you could only put one thing there, and it is the absolute most important one thing of your life, can you define that? One thing. I, I pray you go through an exercise this afternoon before you start Monday morning. What's the one thing? you cannot live without. I can tell you for me, one thing that's gotten me through seasons of anxiety, the one thing that I have learned that I cannot function and you don't want to be around me if I haven't done this one thing is my time in the word every morning. Listen, we're all busy. Teenagers, full plates, extracurricular activities, traveling teams, busy life scholars. You, you, you go into adulting, you're working two jobs just to make ends meet. You start, you start into a serious relationship, you have, start having kids, and, and then you got, man, you lose all your sleep. And then it's like you're trying to figure life out just to keep the, the balls going. And then, and then you enter into whatever stage of life. There's nobody not busy. But what's your one thing? The one thing that you cannot live without. Jesus said, there's one thing that is necessary and I'm not going to take it from her. There's one thing, I've tweeted this word 
this this word God spoke to me this past week in Exodus 33:11 and this is what I want to be said of me the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend I want to have such a relationship with Jesus such a face to face with Jesus that man it's like a friendship the one thing that's necessary what is it there was there was priorities there was deliberate lifestyle. The third and final thing that I see in Mary's life is she made choices. Good, sound choices. Mary has chosen the good portion. What choice, what decision do you need to make today to reset, recalibrate, realign your life so that it's out of the hurry, out of the panic, out of the frenzy. What are you going to do today so that when you start tomorrow, it's sustainable? It's sacred because trading up is moving from the hurried, the anxious life to a sustainable sacred life. And maybe that one thing for some in this room, you see Logan as a, as an adult making the decision to follow Jesus. Maybe your one thing that you need to do today is to give your life to following Jesus. Right where you're at, you can say, Jesus, I give myself to you. I need you. I want you. I long for you. I was able to pray with a, a, a friend who's now a brother this past week at Flying Fish over tacos, fish tacos, and see that brother give himself to following Jesus. I'll pray with you out in the gallery. Stop by. Maybe your one thing is to reprioritize your life in some area. What choice do you need to make for that one thing to be made right? Would you bow your heads with me? I want to ask you a question in the silence of your own heart and mind. I'm going to let the Spirit of God speak the answer to you. So I'm going to ask the question, I'm going to get real quiet, and then I'm going to pray. Here's the question. Who are you more like, Mary or Martha? I'm going to ask you two questions. What do you need to do next? Father, some in this room need the next step for them is to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my friend. And just like you met with Moses, I want, I want to meet with you face to face, God. Father, for some, it's rearranging their life they're even their five-year plan to live at a different rhythm and cadence that is far more sustainable and far more sacred. Lord Jesus, would we just make a very deliberate, prioritizing choice today to follow your sustainable, sacred rhythms. I pray it in the name of Jesus.
Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.